Hi, I'm Kendall Gilding and welcome to My 30 Minutes with Shane Webke. You probably know of Webby from his time on the footy field, a 12-year career with the Brisbane Broncos, 21 State of Origin games and 26 tests representing Australia. Or maybe you've seen him behind the news desk at Seven Reading Sport. He's also a full-time farmer, an author, businessman, safety ambassador, guest speaker. He's even owned a pub. But there's a lot more to this burly bloke than meets the eye. Losing his father young and a lengthy IVF battle to have kids are just some of the things that define who Webby is today. I hope, like me, you are surprised and delighted by this chat. Here's my 30 minutes with Shane Webke. Webby, thanks for sitting down with me. We've been working together at Channel 7 in the studio there for about five years now. How would you describe our working relationship? Well, Kendall, I'd have to say it's a work in progress. Really? (laughs) It's very good and we're mates, but we're still feeling each other out. We are five years down the track. All of our colleagues were a little bit curious and maybe anxious for me to see how our chat would go because we're a bit like comedy sparring partners on set. Um, We like to joke around in the ad breaks and I would say that your most fluent language is actually sarcasm. (laughs) You're not the only person who's told me that. And they do say it's it's the poorest form of humour. I was going to say that. (laughs) And and you're probably right. And and (laughs) I don't know where it comes from, to be absolutely honest with you, but but I guess, could I I bestow this honour upon you? I only use it on the people I like. Oh, very. Okay. I'll take it. In all seriousness, you have taught me a lot, not just professionally, but about the sort of person that I want to be. People have a lot of preconceived ideas about who you are. They're going to have a bit of an idea about the work you've done, maybe you as a football player, but you've got a lot of layers. I'm going to ask this question and ask you to keep it short. Who do you think Shane Webke is? Look, you gave me a bit of an insight that this question might come up, so I have been thinking about it and I'm going to try to be as succinct as I possibly can. The simple answer is, Kendall, is that I'm a very uncomplicated person and in so much as that you you give me the rap of saying I've got all these layers and that, I really don't. I have had a lot of opportunity in my life presented to me and where I have been um, very, very fortunate is that I was raised in a family who were very, very hard workers. So when things have come my way, I have simply worked hard and that has allowed me to have success, if you like, in various different things that I've tried. But at the heart of me is a very simple bloke. You know, my, my idea of a, of a good afternoon is having a couple of my mates drink Forex Gold cans in my shearing shed with me. So I'm not, I'm, not, um, uh, I'm not a complicated person. I care about my family. I want to do the right thing by them. I want to do the right thing by the people I work for. And then I want to enjoy my mates uh, and my family's company uh, when I've got downtime. And then I'm happy just to go back to work again. I really don't. I'm not looking for a lot in life. I just like to be good at the things that I do. I think you're very humble. We will come back to your layers and you being a bit complicated a little later on. I always think of you as someone who's lived almost multiple lives. Kind of ironic. You're only 45 and people that experienced or watched you play footy will be surprised. I guess thinking of you, even in my mind, you seem to have lived so much more life than just those few years. You have achieved huge success, which you kind of mentioned. First, as a rugby league player, you've had a fantastic media career, which you're still enjoying. How would you define success? 
the thing about success is it's very subjective. Everybody's got a different view of what that looks like. I think the sad thing about today's world is that success more and more is being measured on the acquisition of material things. But the longer you live, the more you realise that those things mean nothing. What does mean a lot to me as I'm getting older is time. And so, okay, what does that mean? In life, we all have to do what we have to do. And, and oftentimes that's jobs that we don't particularly love or, or different things that come up that we have to deal with. What real success means to me is having time, not, not to sit around and do nothing, but having time to do the things that you want to do, not the things that you have to do. When you have worked long enough and hard enough in a financial sense, if you like, to give yourself those choices, that's what success is. And I mean, if I, look, if I, if I was to judge how successful I've been at that, I'm still en route to that. What I've always wanted to be was in agriculture, to be a farmer. That is my only, well, it's one of my great passions in life. And so what I do and what I am currently doing, and and as much as I enjoy my media career, I love my footy career um, and the other parts of my working life, they are all part of of a greater plan to get to the point where I can do what my passion is, which will also be my living. But the acquisition of that time is where we all work hardest for. I often think, that it would be good if humans, as humans, we were born old and got younger. Because the problem is, once you've lived long enough and start to work out what life's really about, your life's nearly over. I'm halfway through mine if I'm lucky. Um, and I'm only starting to now feel confident that I have a better understanding of myself and what, you know, what the best way to get the best out of life is. I wonder if your appreciation of time and that being a value of success has to do with a pretty significant event that happened in your life. Your father was killed in a tragic accident. You would have been in your late teens. Were you 19 or so? I was 19, yeah. I imagine that that kind of event in your life really draws a line in the sand. And I've read your book in your autobiography. Your mum is actually quoted as saying, Shane lost his youth. He became a man. When death touches a young person like that, it can either make or break them. With Shane, it made him. What do you think she means? Because <clears throat> the sad thing is, the tragic thing is, is, is losing dad in, in, in the, the horrific way that it happened was the only reason I had a football career. And if you think about the things that, I, that have come my way, they're all based or predicated upon the fact that I had that footy career. And allowed me to, to branch into all the different things that I've done. Now, that's not to say that I wouldn't have gone and done what I wanted to do and, and had a good life anyway. But losing dad changed my perspective. And that, that is what happens when you are young. We all know that people die. And, and when you're young, and particularly in your late teens, generally speaking, um, the, only piece in, the only people you've lost in life are people who have lived their lives, like grandparents and so forth, which is sad, incredibly sad. But that is the nature of life. We're all headed there. And so... Um, <clears throat> that that you um, then lose someone you don't expect to lose, you suddenly realise a lot more with a lot more clarity that we are all uh, living a finite existence, and it just changes your perspective. I came back from from losing dad back to Brisbane, and and, and prior to that, I had been struggling enormously with my footy career and very wishy washy about it. Losing dad then <clears throat> brought into sharp focus the worst thing that had ever happened to me. And then everything else, by comparison, wasn't that important. And letting go of that and understanding that actually gave me the clarity to go ahead, if that makes sense. Um, I still, to this day, wish it wasn't the case um, because at the other end of my <clears throat> this side of my life, if you like, I'd really miss not having a dad. It's that simple. So 
I feel a bit weird about saying that, you know, losing dad gave me all this because losing dad took away um, one of the most important relationships that we all have and that's with our dads. But it is amazing and a credit to you that out of something that's so tragic you have been able to turn something, you know, turn it into something that's great. But, Kendall, that doesn't make me unique. The, the world over, people go through much worse than that <clears throat> and endure all sorts of horrible things that go on. Life is a war. Let's, let's, you know, life is a war in so much as that we have our good times but inevitably life is punctuated with events that we have to deal with. Um, and it is it's the building of resilience and, and the willingness to deal with those things which actually makes us better humans. And it, that is what will allow you to enjoy life because none of us are going to get through unscathed. I got a huge lesson early in life about that with losing dad and the resilience that came from that. I've been through some other stuff in more recent times and different things with my family and my kids and having our kids. But I have been able to take all that in my stride because I measure against that, that morning um, 27 years ago um, that, that I got that news. Um, and when I compare to that, Nothing else is as bad. You've already talked about your family. It's very obvious they are everything to you. Anyone that has met you or spoken with you would know that. You've been married to Ali for more than two decades. You tied the knot when you were just 22, which was that, did that seem young back then or was that kind of the norm? For people who know me, I'm not surprised by that. I guess in some respects, I've, I was old. I was old before I lost my, like if I got old because of what happened to dad, I was already old before that. I have, as I said, yeah, when you ask me who I am, I have been a little old man most of my life. <laughs> I just like simple things and I've always been that way and that's just my nature. Um, so um, what was the question? Not surprising that you got married young. Yeah, getting married young. So it isn't surprising, but I just met I met the right girl. It's that simple and I, and I just knew. Now that's weird. How do you know when you're 22? How do you know anything? But I did when I was actually 21 and I just oh, turned really? 22. Okay. And in my mind, and we joke about it, I said, Ali, I'm glad I'm going to be turning 22 because it'd be a bit weird being married at 21. <laughs> the irony is I got engaged at 21 and there I got go. married at 22. Well, there we go. So we share that in common <laughs> And I remember well. thinking, oh, at least I'll be 22. So that's pretty funny. We have so much in we common. We actually general. do have a lot in common. You have said you were smitten and you just said you knew she was the girl for you. You were actually working at Westpac Bank at the time and you got a transfer to Brisbane so that you could chase her down, which is rather romantic, <laughs> but turns out you're an old man inside, so we shouldn't be surprised. You went on to have three kids. Erin is now 19, Hayden will be 16 this year and Grace is 15. Your journey to parenthood wasn't easy. You've been very open about that and it was a rather lengthy IVF journey. Again, this is actually something that we share in common I'm always really interested to gain the husband's perspective in this scenario because I can only relate to how I felt. My journey was only sort of two, three years. Yours went on for five at a time when this technology was pretty new still, 19 years ago. It's not super common. What would you say to any guys that are going through this? Get ready for a very difficult time. <clears throat> and now we don't go through that. Now you and I understand intimately what this is about, but even Back then, maybe it was a little bit different to what you experienced. There was a lot of needles. There was a lot, there was a lot that Alison had to go through. And at some point, I almost begged her to stop because I, I, I was devastated. I was devastated from my own point of view because I wanted to have a family. But for, I'm not the one who's going through it physically. 
and I could see what it was doing to her. And each time, and I know you'll appreciate this, each time it didn't work was akin to losing a child. It, get, it got that way and I would see what it would do to her. And that's why I had so much admiration for her because she would not quit. And as much as it hurt her, her dream of motherhood was the most important thing in her life and she would not let go. And it, it is a testament um, it is a testament to her, but it's also a testament to determination that it can take you anywhere. Because by rights, if you look at the stats in that, after that long, generally speaking, it, it isn't going to happen. And we had the worst of infertility problems, the unexplained ones. At least if you've got something to hang your hat on and say, well, this is why it hasn't happened, that's okay. But when it's left up in the ether as an unexplained infertility, well, you wonder and you forever wonder. So the day that, and I'll never, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this, I'll never forget the day that we walked in and, and our doctor said, well, guess what? And he was a funny bugger. He said, guess what? And we're thinking that we're so nervous. He said, you're a little bit pregnant. <laughs> and we were just, I just never forget that moment. Happy for me, but elated for her. And then, of course, and again, you'll appreciate this, you start that journey of going through the pregnancy and hoping nothing goes wrong. And so I watched her go through all of that. Um, thankfully for us, as, our, as we went along with our kids, Haiti was only one cycle. It was the second cycle. And, so, and then Gracie was, was naturally born. So it got better and better for us as we went along. But that couldn't have happened were it not for Ali and her utter refusal to give in to the fact that, you know, perhaps or the possibility that we wouldn't have children. She would not entertain it. Um, and I will be forever uh, in utter admiration for, for her attitude during that time. I know you're on the other side of it now, so it's easy to for me to feel happy about it, but I do feel heartbroken thinking about that process because that's a really, really long time. Having had the kids, when you look back on that, what do you remember about your role as, I guess, the supportive person in that scenario? Because there's not – you guys have a very crucial role in what's going on, but how do you help someone through that? It's very difficult and made more difficult for me. I was in the middle of my football career. Now, a professional sporting career takes just about everything you've got um, and I mean that both in a physical and a mental sense. So I was juggling these two things, the pressure of trying to play footy um, and then the pressure of what was going on at home. And just that it was, it was a sadness. I, we were sad for years because, you know, you, you, you know, we didn't let it invade us entirely but for the most time, we were sad because there was this, this awful uh, cloud hanging over us about, you know, oh, is this going to happen for us? Is it not going to happen for us? Um, and I, it was very hard for me. I was a young person. I was a young man to try and help her. I didn't really know how to do that. So what I tried to do was just just be there, to cuddle her and, and, and hold her hand and, and just that's all you can do is, is know that, you know what, you're on this alone. In many ways she was, but I said – you know, I always tried to, to convey to her that whatever happens, I'll be here. And did that give her some solace? I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's all I knew how to do. And I think that's all you can do. And, I mean, you've lived through this. Um, you're probably better uh, able to say what works and what doesn't. But for me, I just, just tried to be – just tried to let her know she wasn't in it by herself. It is funny. There's almost nothing you can do. Mm. I kind of remember that phase and just sort of – Tim was pretty like helpless because mm. he didn't know what to do to support me. And you're right. I think just being there is is pretty much well, all you can do. It's all you've got. And it's as you say, you're you're the one physically has to go through it. And 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 it's like it's like you know when a baby's born, 
And I hear blokes talk about this, and I disagree entirely. You know, they say, oh, I fell in love with the moment, baby. Boy. No, no, we, well, I don't think we do. Like, as a, as a woman who carries a child, and you have that child, you have that bond already. For me, I, it was like two weeks before I realised, this is actually a little version of me running, well, thankfully not a, a, an entire version of me, but <laughs> this is a little version of me, and, and you do. You, you literally fall in love with them, and then it becomes that bond, that lifelong bond where a little piece of your heart's out walking around, and you just hope nothing happens to them. I do agree. You kind of have to get to know them because mm. you don't know this little human when they're given to you. And when they're so little, they don't do that much anyway. I've actually had your kids help me out with a couple of questions. I've had them each describe you in three words. I'm not going to tell you all three words. When did you do this? None of your business. Oh, but there were kind hell? of three obvious pillars about you that emerged. And this is through the eyes of your kids. So we're talking about success and your career and life and time and all the ways that we measure success. But it's really interesting to gain a perspective of how other people view you. And as a father, I don't think there's anyone that... This is sneaky, Kendall. Yeah, I know. I thought you'd like this. So let's start with Hayden. So Hayden's going to be 16 this year. He, one of his words and one of the key pillars about you was he described you as hardworking. So... Many people would be surprised that you work seven days a week on a farm at Leeburn. So you live in Toowoomba, you work for Seven News as well, you commute that drive, which is how far is that? Well, it's an hour 40, exactly. You do each that way. each way, each day. So you're also farming, you're doing that, you work on in multiple ambassador roles, you know, you're an author, you've you're an MC, you're a guest speaker, you do a lot of safety work in light of your dad's accident. Why do you work so hard? It's an interesting question. Um, simple thing is, I grew up in a family who were bone poor. And, and and when I say that, we were poor in the material sense, rich in the sense of, you know what, warm bed, full stomach, parents who loved you. And so but at the time, growing up in that, I didn't realise how important those things were. All I could think about is that we had nothing and it was bloody hard and, and life was difficult. And so what happens when you grow up like that is you get hungry. And, and for me, it, it, it consumed me a little bit, if you like. But my dad was a hard worker, my mum's a hard worker. And, and so it was natural for me to be that way. All I ever saw people in life, and, and, and in, a, in a rural community, people work, all people work. And so all I've ever seen is people work. It's completely natural to me to go to, to get up every day and have a job to go and do, whether it be um, a job at seven, uh, speaking at something, going to the farm. There's always something to do. I love working. I, I'd love to say that it's some great sacrifice. Of my, it isn't because I love to work. And, it, and, it, and it, I feel no more happy than I went in a paddock on a day where it's, you know, 40 degrees, it's hot as buggery, and I'm building the fence. I'm happy. I'm truly happy doing that, and people think that is weird. Probably is. Um, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean to say I don't enjoy some downtime. I do, but I do find it very. And maybe the kids said this. I do find it very hard to relax because when you've been so used to doing, 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 when you when you're not doing, it feels it feels unnatural. And it'd be interesting to see you on a holiday. I'm not good on holidays. <laughs> and you ask my kids about that. You ask my wife about that. I'm shocking on holidays. Absolutely terrible. I'm not good company. They don't like it. They don't like me and at that particular time. But that I can't help that. I try to work on it though. I'm not. I'm, I'm not subscribed to the theory that we're we're born in one way and you can't change that. 
we all have our shortcomings. I have plenty of them. I try to work on them. It doesn't mean that I that I've mastered that. Let's move on to Erin. So Erin's your eldest. So mm. you know the long way to be interesting. baby. Well, I'm not going to tell you all three of her words, but <laughs> probably the standout because there was a common theme is that you're loyal. Anyone that watched your career would have known that you spent 12 years, you were a single club player with the Broncos. That's got to be the definition of loyalty in that sense, particularly in this day and age. You've been at Channel 7 for even longer than that. No doubt you've had um, other offers to do other things, maybe not with other networks, but other things that would take you away from that role. Why is loyalty, and I suppose it comes with a very extreme level of integrity, such an important character trait to you? Um, I'm a very nostalgic person as well, and I think those two things actually go hand in hand. I'm very loyal to where I'm from. I'm very loyal to my friends. I, ha- I have lifelong friends who I went to primary school with, and I'm, and I'm loyal to my family. I'm, I'm loyal to my workplaces. I love loyalty. Loyalty, I think, is one of the great traits a human can possess. Um, but it comes naturally to me, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, and I, I can't rightly put a finger on why that's the case or why it means so much to me. But I think as a, as a human being, we love, as much as we think it's, it's something we don't like, we love routine, we love things to be the way they are. I find in loyalty is that it, it also agendas trust. And so when you can trust something, you can rely on it, you can feel right about it. And so I, I'm, loyal, I'm loyal to the people around me because I want them to be loyal to me so I can trust that and rely on that. And that lets me get through life a bit better. So, and I just think loyalty is one of the, one of the traits that um, I think if I look at people and I can say they're loyal, that, that has a certain s- substance to it, a certain solidness. Uh, and, and that's what I aim to be. I, I want to be a solid person that people can rely on. Um, because I think that's, I just think that's a good way to be. It's that simple. Do you think we have a lot of loyalty nowadays? None. None. Well, not none. That's that's an exaggeration. You shouldn't sort of exaggerate it about anything that much. But I, I, I dismay at the lack of loyalty in people, um, and in 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 simple things too. I'm not saying like the you know big ticket items. People can still be pretty loyal, but but you know like like what social media has done and and things like that. And people, you know take snipes at other things and all the rest of it. To be loyal to anything is, is to know that nothing's perfect. Um, and that means you've got to, when you're loyal to a friend, you've got to forgive the things you don't like about them. And that's loyalty to anything because no one thing in life is perfect. So it's actually really hard work to be a loyal person and, and be loyal about things. So um, it's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing, but I've forgotten the question. So now I'm starting to ramble again. That's good. I like it. <laughs> Let's go on to Grace's question or word. So she's 15, just for people who are trying to keep track at home. Her word was generous. And I actually have too many stories that I could tell about your generosity. I've experienced it firsthand. I won't embarrass you by telling that story. I have seen you do extraordinary acts for other people. Again, I'm not going to bring those specific ones up. But to give a bit of a glimpse, I'm going to quote your mum, Vicky, again. And this is out of your book. She said, Shane does his best to keep private the things he does. I don't think he has kept any of the money he has earned from his state of origin or Australian appearances over the years. He's siphoned that off into different avenues to help the game. What joy do you get from giving to others? 
Oh, I don't know. Um, this makes me feel right. You know, I, I wish I could – like – and that's – you've overstated it. I don't think that – I don't you're think You're not that allowed I, to be that humble about well, this. Well, I'm not trying to be, but, but it's just – I know you have. You know, because there, there's a great many things. The greatest thing you can give someone is your time. And, and so when I, when I see a, a mate or, or a situation or something that I know I have the power to do something to try and make a bit better – well, I'm sort of happy to do that. And it's not, it's not, there's no, I don't have a ledger where I think, righto, we've got to balance all this out. But I am a great believer in karma. And I think in life, um, you, your good and bad acts get revisited upon you. So all I've ever tried to do is, in, you know, and, and so much has gone right in my life, is that I've always tried to balance it out by trying to spread a bit of that, that, that good luck around. And it is really quite that simple. Um, I don't have this, you know, and, I, and I'm quite a, like at the heart of me and my personality, I'm quite an angry person. I get, I get, I lose my temper. You ask my kids about that stuff like that. And and so I get worked up about things. I get, you know, and I'm subject to the same frailties that everyone is. If I'm generous, um, like it, it, it's, it, it's to my loyalty as well because um, I'm generous with a lot of the people I'm loyal to. Um, but I, I, I can't rightly tell you that I have some system or, or agenda by doing that. If I see something that I think I can help with, I'm happy to help with it. And there's plenty of things I see that, that I don't like that I don't have anything to do with. So, But I think life would be a little bit better for all of us if, if people, and I've always believed in that, is that you know if we help each other, and not necessarily with money or stuff like that, little things. Little things like picking up the phone and talking to a mate who you know is doing a bit tough, um, doesn't doesn't take a lot, and it means a lot. It means so much on the other end. So I just I don't know. I've always been like that. I'll always be like that. I like it. It's a great great trait. I did also have a chat to some of our colleagues. Oh no, this could be more interesting. There's a lot of people that we work with that would probably not have seen the full depths of Shane Webke because maybe they only see you in a professional sense. I'm not going to name the colleague, but we had a bit of a chat about say three keywords that they use to describe you. The first one is enigmatic, an enigma. Before you pull out your phone to Google what that means, by definition, it's mysterious or difficult to understand. The next word was layered, which we talked about a little bit before. You don't think you're that layered, I know. I don't. And the third was perplexing, <laughs> which by definition is completely baffling or very puzzling. So mission accomplished. Yeah, but you think you're not layered and but confusing. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, that's just that's just the way I am. I'm going to which, keep... which is this is rather bizarre to hear all that. I've got to tell you. Um, look, I don't. For me, like people who know me know me, and and I've known all my life. They may not use those words about me, um, but I guess everyone's got a got there, well, I sort of maybe I've got a public persona, but that's not, I don't think I do. I am what I am. But um, hearing work colleagues say that about me. Um, I think this particular colleague knows you better than you're letting on. Oh, right. So. Anyway. You can um, take that on board. I'm going to list a couple of surprising things about you when we talk about layers and maybe why you're mysterious. As an example... You played professional NRL, but you don't really watch the game. 
You didn't then and you still don't. <laughs> I know. You like to play, you don't want to watch it. I think it makes me strange. I don't it think is, it makes me enigmatic or, it's layered. or perplexing or layered. <laughs> you became a footballer, but you were actually accepted into uni to study journalism. Now, that's ironic, isn't it? I do love that So you go fact. all the way around and I am... And you still ended up at Channel 7 Loosely anyway. classed as a journalist. Yeah, loose. <laughs> Very loosely. <laughs> You're a burly bloke, but you talk to your mum every day? She'd, one of the closest relationships you have mm. would be with your mother. Absolutely. There's so many strange little almost contradictory funny elements about you that people just can't join the dots on. <laughs> well, imagine how it's like on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we've all got our funny ways, I guess, and, and I'm no different anyway. Um, but it's difficult to know where to go with that. This is the first time I'm hearing this. You've ambushed me. I think this is brilliant because you told me I wouldn't surprise you, yeah, no, and I think you me. are you have, stumped. You have generally, uh, yeah. But it's, it's rather confronting to hear what other people think about Isn't you. Isn't it brilliant? Because I often go with the, the notion that it's none of your business what other people think Yeah, because <laughs> you start thinking about it too much, it does your head in. Um, well... Yeah. Okay, good. It wasn't a question, so it's all right. I know, because I, know, I, know, yeah. I don't know what to say. Take it really on board. Don't. What do you think, you're only 45, I always just think that's hilarious because you're an old like man at heart. No. <laughs> no. What do you see for your future? Look, all I've ever wanted to do, as I said earlier in the interview, all I wanted to do was was to to get to the point where I can be on my farm full time. And that's, that's, all, I've, that's all I've got really. Um I don't have any, like in terms of media, I've gone as far as I want to go. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to grow into something else or try new things. I, I just, I love doing what I do at Channel Seven. I've gotten used to it. I love the people there, and that, and that's a really comfortable thing now. Um, speaking about, you know, I speak at various events about my life and football and all the rest of it because, you know, if if that story helps somebody because it was a, a reasonably interesting journey, we'll say so be it. And then the other, the other big pillar of what I do is about safety. Safety is a bit different because my dad is dead because of a, a poor attitude toward that. And so that has a bit of a double meaning for me. So I'm, I'm happy to keep doing that for a while. But you know what? I, I grow tired of talking about what happened to my dad because it forces me to relive it all the time. And and in some respects, and, and we just went through, I said 27 years, but it's 26-year anniversary on Sunday of, of his passing. Um, and, you know, and I spent the day with my mum because I wanted to because I think it, it – it affects her more than she lets. Aren't she a very tough woman? But um, so I spent the day with her, and, and it was a, it was a good day actually because it was a quiet day, and we went and saw Dad's grave and and said a go to him, and then spent the day together, went for a bit of a drive and had lunch, and it let me think about things, you know, a bit of a break in the in the traffic, if you like, to think about things, and and I'm pretty right. I'm pretty happy with the way things are going, where I'm headed. Um, as you and I know, the media world's in a great state of change. So when I think about that all in the context of where I'm headed. I'm still headed where I was always going and I will continue to do the things I have to do to allow that. Um, it could be some years before that becomes a reality because, of you know, once you have your children, you've got to raise them and do all the things you've got to do for them. So you've got to put all your own stuff on the back burner for a while. And I'm very centred on, on them. Um, the greatest responsibility we give ourselves is our children and, and if I'm to be judged in any way, shape or form, the way that they turn out is, is a massive part of what I, I want. Um, I want to make them good little people. They'll make their mistakes. They'll have their things that go wrong. I just want to build in them a work ethic, a resilience that my parents gave to me, which has allowed me to live a pretty happy and fulfilling life. So 
the future, I will get to my farm and then I will drop out of circulation and no one will ever see me again except <laughs> except my good mates. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. Webby, I respect you greatly. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. As you said, the greatest thing you can give someone is time. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's actually been really fun, Kendall. And <laughs> you have surprised me a little and you've been a little bit sneaky, but I have enjoyed it. I like it. Thank you. Thank you.